Oh, hello there. You've stumbled upon another Monkey See, Monkey Review podcast. We're up to episode 17. Goodness me, that's uh, that's flying by now. Uh, so if you've not listened to the Monkey See, Monkey Review podcast before, you're very welcome in. I'm Scott, and each time out I'm joined by one or more members of the Monkey See family. And this time we have got a full complement of the team representing all points of the compass from Northern Ireland to South London, to the West Midlands, and uh, the East Coast of America via Tamworth. So each time we talk about uh, what we've been watching, uh, including recent releases, anything that is flying under the radar, and from time to time we touch on some all-time classics. Uh, We also try and talk about the ever-shifting landscape of film, and defend maligned, overlooked or underappreciated movies, as well as our regular pitch battles and our always-expanding Tracks of the Trade Movie Score playlist on Spotify. So, without further ado, it's time to introduce the three other members of the Monkey Sea family that are joining us this week. First of all, Mr. Christopher Commander. You all right, Bab? <laughs> all right, mate. <laughs> How are you? Very well, very well. And we have the wonderful Mr. Kevin Haney. Good day, good day. Hello, chaps. Good to hear and see you. Well, I say I'll see you, yeah, can't, just hear you again. Yeah, I can't see you, but, <laughs> uh, but we can definitely hear you. That's what you And think. finally, making his return after a week off, it's Mr. Craig Woodfield. Greetings, gents. How are we all? Pretty splendid. Thank you very much. Wonderful, all the wonderful. better for, as Kev says, hearing you, not seeing you. Uh, it's, it's always monkey a highlight here, of my fortnight. Monkey review. Again, you don't know what bush I'm in. I could be outside in the shrubbery. This is true. This is true. I was wondering why you were demanding a shrubbery. <laughs> so, gentlemen, how have you been? What have you been up to? Well, I've been I've been out and about and, and, and working and all of that jazz, trying to squeeze in as many films as I can. Gone back and uh, revisited a couple of oldies just to see how they're how, including including Spider-Man 2, the Sam Raimi yes. Spider-Man 2, which some claim still to this day... Is 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 one of the greatest zero, uh, superhero movies ever made? What do we think about that? It is uh, fantastic. I, I'm, I'm liable to agree with you there. I, I just remember how entertaining it was, and the, particularly those first two. There's no surprise that the expectations for Spider-Man Three were so high because the progression from the first Spider-Man to Spider-Man Two was phenomenal and so they, they had quite a high bar to clear it would have been good if not for interventions yeah the, the studio interference and the uh, the kind of edict that they include Venom a character that Sam Raimi didn't particularly like or want yeah oh, it, I had, think slightly diluted things somewhat yeah had they not have had Venom it would have been alright they rushed the Green Goblin mm. stuff this is Spider-Man 3 obviously yeah. we're talking about they rushed the Green Goblin stuff yeah. and the Sandman stuff with Thomas Hayden Church who was a really good actor and was, you know it, that would have been terrific if they'd just given him the space yeah funny you should say that because I um, I'm checked out uh, because it was it was on Sky and I just I needed something to kind of fill my, my time in my brain as I watched The Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, we should talk about that at some point because I love The Amazing Spider-Man films. I I was less enamoured of The Amazing Spider-Man. There's a lot to like about it but this time round I just, I, it didn't it didn't do it for me as it did last time but um, it's funny with, with kind of the progression of it because 
the day we are recording, I believe, is uh, it's seven years since the release of uh, Amazing Spider-Man God. 2. Uh-huh. And wow. there was a video circulating on, uh, on Twitter uh, earlier today that basically was showing one of the, the deleted scenes that they didn't put in at the end of The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh, I know which, the one. Yes. Yeah. So, at the graveyard. Uh, at the graveyard yeah. with, uh, with Richard Parker, Peter's dad, not the tiger from Life of Pi. <laughs> that would have been a very different movie. Um, turning up. And, um, yeah, I think because it's a really emotional scene. He, 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 he returns to, you know, apologise to his son for deserting him, but he did it to keep him safe. And Andrew Garfield's performance in that scene is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it would have been a really great way. I mean, it would have been a... a I don't know if it would have been a downer or a more of a downer or... Uh, something to kind of lift the movie after all yeah. that's gone on, but it certainly would have given to even even more interest yeah, in the, the film. Uh, and I, th- I think it's weaker for for not having it in there. Yeah, I'm not a huge. Uh, as I say, um, the Amazing Spider-Man. I think is a great film with a great score, great direction, great performances. With except not ex- exception of Recyphons, but I think the villain in it is a bit of is a bit is where the film kind of falls down. Yeah. But when you get to the Amazing Spider-Man two, I really liked it because the end was so brave but the problem is 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 an end brave if you don't then pick up <laughs> pick up the story again because you know initially i think they were just doing it when they said because the, the rights were going to lapse and then it was a case of hey yeah. we're going to go in a really interesting direction with this amazing spider-man oh no actually sony and uh and marvel they want to get involved together let's you know what let's just sack this off and go yeah. with uh, tom Holland. yeah I think with with Amazing Spider-Man two not making the money that, that they're they're expecting, kind of box office records money for it. Mm. I think it's certainly made it's certainly made enough to warrant a sequel, but not as much as a Marvel, um, right. a Marvel Sony collaboration yeah. was going to, which obviously it was. And don't get me wrong, I mean I think Spider-Man. Um, you know, Homecoming is is absolutely superb. To be honest, yeah. I don't think other than Spider Man Three, I don't think there's really a bad Spider Man film. I'm I'm inclined to agree with you there. I think Amazing Spider Man Two gets a rough ride. It does do that really annoying thing of uh, trying to build a universe before you know they you know running before they can walk, uh, where you're introducing characters for the purposes of, of using them in a later film that's never going to materialise. Yeah. And that's that's really that's one of my book bases. I'm I'm also really kind of interested in those those kind of films that promise a sequel that never appeared, never occurred. Even even down to I mean Guy Ritchie teased a sequel to Rock and Roller of all films <laughs> at yeah. the end of it. Which is just random and I don't think I don't think anybody's crying out for a sequel to Rock and Roller. <laughs> so, sorry, I'm I'm not I am not a fan. Uh, but yeah, so no it's 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 really interesting. I'm fascinated to know where they were going to go. I know there are stories out there about where the Amazing Spider Man three was going to go and they do see sound absolutely back crap crazy. Uh, yeah, so and, you, they, and they had the idea and they were going to continue with the Sinister Six stuff. Yeah. They were going to do. Yeah. My, was, my comic book brain just. Because I love Spider Man. For those yeah. of you who don't know, who are listening, uh, me and Pete were tight. And uh, <laughs> The Amazing Spider Man for me feels very much like The Amazing Spider Man comic book series. And so yeah. to follow that train of thought with, uh, with his father. 
mm-hmm. maybe father. There's all sorts of stuff that Comic Brain was just like, I, I'm so excited because what if it's the what if it's the robot clone? What if it's the Russian agent? Oh my God, there's so much. Um, <laughs> and to know that by the time that that was kind of released, that we weren't going to get a follow follow up or follow through of that storyline, yeah. oh, it's it saddens me. Yes. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, well, that was a that was a little random detour into the Spider-Man universe. But, uh, <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, there we go. So, what, uh, what 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 have you guys been watching? Well, I I went back and watched Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade for the first time in a few years, Terrific. and really enjoyed it. Again, obviously, I'm <laughs> I'm such such a fan of the Indiana Jones films, and I've seen throughout uh, the different periods of lockdown. I've watched Raiders and I've watched Temple of Doom, but I just not got round to watching Last Crusade, and I just had this real hankering for some comfort movies um, because that's what I've been needing at the moment. And yeah, it, it, it is the very definition of a comfort movie. I think tonally, uh, it does it does skew towards comedy more. It's still a cracking adventure. I think after Temple of Doom. It's a real kind of light palate cleanser, uh, and it, it feels a lot more in spirit to the first film. I, I really enjoy Temple of Doom, but it's uh, it's got some it's got some harsh stuff in there. Uh, and uh, you know the the chemistry between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery is brilliant. Uh, Sean Connery uh, as Henry Jones Senior is is just brilliant. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's a it's a really great film, and I still found myself smiling and laughing along at the right parts, and uh, marveling at that fantastic tank ch- tank and horse chase. Uh, it's yeah, I, it's just it's a it's a great series of three films. It's a shame uh, that it's taken them till now to make a fourth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but I. I'm, you know, given given the casting of uh, of the next Indiana Jones film and the fact that James Mangold's making it, I am cautiously excited for it. Uh, so, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Matt Mickelson joining mm-hmm. the cast, which is, yeah, you know, I mean, that's a that's a good trio of actors. So I'm I'm interested to see where where they go with that one. Uh, no fridges, no gophers, please. <laughs> um, uh, markedly less LeBeouf. <laughs> and I think we'll be. I think we'll be golden. <laughs> I have not been watching anything. I okay. I, in a good, but I know, and it's kind of it's kind of a weird thing to say because I, I I so love relishing having the time to do it. But I'm very excited to be part of a project that may mm-hmm. be in people's homes at some point over the summer. Alexa. Um, so that's all very exciting. So I am. I'm still invested, and I still love you all out there. And hopefully, I'll get to meet some of you soon. This would be pretty cool. Just the idea. Yeah. I'm saying this now, so in case someone out there during the show goes, "Wait a minute, do you do a podcast <laughs> about films?" <laughs> uh, yes, it's me. Hello. Yes, he will be the bard in your yard. <laughs> I will be the bard in your yard. Bard boys. Excellent. Oh, good luck with that, Chris. I'm really, really looking Thank forward you. to being Thank able you. to see it. And uh, yeah, I, so obviously that may mean that uh, Chris becomes uh, scarce from time to time. But you know, we, we wish you well. And uh, 
yeah, we we'll look forward to hearing more about your adventures. And you, you have watched something recently because have, uh, we're going to be we're going to be reviewing that in a little while. Craig, is there anything else you've been watching of late? Well, I've just been um, listening to a couple of uh, pod- movie podcasts uh, and seeing what rabbit hole that takes me down. So at the minute, I've been listening to mm-hmm. um, the horror movie podcast, and they um, every sort of Halloween they do sort of a list kind of podcast um and that led yeah. me to watch uh, the faculty uh, which i haven't seen in a long time and oh, yes. it was it gave me all the the, the feeling that i that i had when i watched it when i was at university or when we were at university um and yeah it kind of makes me think josh hartnett you know where, where, where did he go you know um and he was so good in it and it's it still stands up you know the cgi is yeah. not great but then i remember thinking that around the time but it kind of led yeah. lends itself to the charm so i've i've now like given myself a list of about five or six not true slasher horror movie films but you know films that i want to revisit or want to watch for the first time so the faculty is the first one of those so Oh, can I just do a little shout? Right. You mentioned in, mentioning podcasts, and I hope this is okay. Just to sort of mention this horror movie podcast. There's a great podcast I listen to called Horror Movie Maniacs, and each week or each month, rather, uh, whenever they put them up, they uh, they discuss. They basically kind of deconstruct horror classics, and there's great clips in it, and it just goes through. It's so slickly done, but I like listening to it because I'm horror. I would probably say is probably my least favorite genre, but mm-hmm. listening to these guys, their enthusiasm for it, and when they talk about it, stuff I've seen before or stuff I haven't seen yet. Um, it always makes you want to go back and revisit the films. They've talked about like It Follows, America Werewolf in London, um, The Thing. Um, it's, it's absolutely terrific. Jaws, which is great as well, which is, you know, I, I've always thought, oh, yeah, is Jaws a horror movie? Yeah, I suppose it kind of is, isn't it? Of course. Yeah. Uh, and it's about a shark, even though everyone's always kind of like, you know, it's not about a shark. It's about, it's, all, it's a political, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, so I'd, I'd recommend that too. But, yeah, horror not being my favourite genre actually brings me on to something I just want to talk about if I can quickly. I want to just yeah. kind of separate it a little bit about, like, some of the classics. Is a film I saw recently was Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. Okay. And uh, Andrew Riseborough, Chris Rabbit, Jennifer Day, Jason Lee. It is a tough watch, but it is so the ideas in it are so great it's essentially about an agent who played by andrea riseborough she works for a secretive organization that uses brain implant technology to basically inhabit other people's bodies and the people's bodies that they inhabit they kind of like they they try to drive them to commit assassinations um and it's really that kind of like your mind is a very kind of like you know it's a very fluid thing that can be manipulated and can you believe your eyes and it reminded me a lot of strange days do you remember mm. um catherine bigelow's mm-hmm. strange days from yeah. um, 1999 which was a hugely underrated film Love in my film. opinion but was way ahead of its time yeah absolutely brilliant which is worth revisiting again not an easy watch um but yeah big shout out for possessor which is available i think you can rent it from amazon i think it's actually available on blu-ray now as well but as far as brandon cronenberg goes when it comes to like body horror a bit like his dad david it's that kind of thing where he knows what gets your wincing he knows what get you know it's all justified but it is exceptionally brutal it is exceptionally graphic and you know i i don't usually go in for that kind of stuff but because of the kind of sci-fi element to it i was really drawn into it so it was a really kind of what i'd say is i'd say more of an experience than a watch i wouldn't say i enjoyed it but i would say that i appreciated it immensely so i would heartily recommend possessor or possessor uncut as it's known um but if, if you're a little bit kind of like Ooh, shaky as to that kind of stuff check out the bbfc website look at the um classification information and it'll kind of tell you what kind of stuff's in it 
um, and if you, without really um, spoiling the plot. Um, and, and if you still want to watch it after that, then I'll heartily recommend it. But like I say, it's probably the uneasy watch that uh, I was kind of like uh, not really looking for, but really enjoyed ultimately. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's it's a film that I'd, I'd seen coming out, and the trailer looks really interesting. Uh, it's that that whole sort of body horror and uncomfortableness that's, that's kind of holding me back a little bit because sometimes yeah. you you have to be you have to be really in the mood for something like that. Yeah, it's uh, so ul- that- it takes ultra violence to a new level, and there are many times where you go. Oh, you didn't need to see that. You didn't need to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, before we move on to the reviews, I'm going to uh, give a, a shout out to a podcast that I've just been checking out as well. So this is one that was recommended to me by a friend of the show and also fellow podcaster M from the Verbal Diorama podcast. Uh, it's the Rewind movie podcast. Uh, it's uh, four chaps that basically do a, a deep dive into a film each episode episodes are about an hour and a half two hours long but it's absolutely fascinating stuff and probably no surprise that the episodes that kind of drew me in to have a listen to were uh, alien and aliens I'm, I'm going to do a bit of a deep dive into the rest of the episodes but the uh, the knowledge of of the four guys and the uh, the the enthusiasm you know within them for the films they they you know they all love the two films they discussed the, for the ones that I listened, but they were all very fair and very balanced. You know, they picked the the faults and the flaws and and all the stuff that I absolutely loved. But they they're all really knowledgeable and, and really great at kind of talking about the structure and and the foreshadowing and and everything to do with with, with the films. And yeah, no, it was it was really really fascinating stuff. So I'd I'd recommend checking them out as well. They're uh, they're great. So that's the Rewind Movie Podcast. So without further ado. I think it's time to start hitting up some reviews. What do you reckon, gents? Count me in. Good. Fantastic. Yes. So the first of our reviews this week is at one of uh, the Oscar nominations from uh, uh, last week. So yes, it, we're, we're a week removed from the Oscars. And I'm sure we'll have a little chat about those later on before we get to the pitch battle. Um, but yeah, the, uh, Love and Monsters. It was nominated for a Best Visual Effects Academy Award. And it's uh, been recently released on Netflix, uh, directed by Michael Matthews and starring Dylan O'Brien, uh, Jessica Henwick, uh, Michael Rooker. And the story is that uh, seven years after a monster apocalypse, Joel Dawson, along with the rest of humanity, have been living underground ever since giant creatures took control of the land. Uh, after reconnecting over radio with his high school girlfriend, Amy, who is now 80 miles away uh, to Coastal Colony, Joel begins to fall for her again. Joel realises that there's nothing left for him underground. He decides, against all logic, to venture out to find Amy, despite all the dangerous monsters that stand in his way. Uh, so, me and Kev have both seen this, and uh, Kev, what a treat this was, wasn't it? It was. I wasn't expecting much from it at all, and in fact, I actually looked at Netflix and thought, oh, it's another one of the, from the imagery and everything, so I didn't know much about it. Looking at the imagery, I was like, ah, oh, this is not for me. This isn't that kind of thing. And it was actually, I think, you that watched it, Scott, first. Yes. And was like, actually, you know what, check this out. You did obviously mention the uh, the visual effects Oscar as well, so I went in it in the kind of like, okay, cool, well, it's up for it. I was trying to polish off as many Oscar films as I could. Um, so I kind of went in probably about an hour after you did, and I was yeah. so glad I did. I th- I was really impressed by it. I thought it was witty. I thought it was funny. I thought the creatures were imaginative. Uh, I thought the, uh, the the relationship element was kind of nice, and there was a nice resolution to it that's not your stereotypical resolution. Uh, yeah. And I thought that the dog in it that I feared for the entire movie was absolutely brilliant and nearly stole the show. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> 
I, boy the dog. I have to what, say, what love a, boy. The best dog in a film since The Artist, I think, and should have been nominated himself. Had there have been an Academy Awards ceremony in the traditional sense, I'm pretty sure he would have come on and done a little dance. <laughs> now, I have to say, uh, one of the things that I've picked out, and it's no disservice to uh, Jessica Henwick, who was really good as Amy, and it was it, the, the relationship between her and Joel was quite sweet, but, uh, you know, Thanks to their extended screen time together, the chemistry between <laughs> Joel and Boy, so Dylan and Dylan O'Brien and Boy, was just fantastic. And I was more invested in their love story than uh, than anything else in the film. I just thought uh, it was it was absolutely lovely, and it really gave the film heart and resonance. It, it's not just that that gave the film heart. I think I you know I agree with you. It had some great humour. It was really witty. Um, in the first sort of five ten minutes uh, you know the style of it the voiceover uh Dylan o'brien's performance yeah all of it was was really kind of engaging and uh, and quick and amusing that it just it just hooked me straight away it's like you know what i think i'm gonna do all right here it's the perfect example of wandering into something with zero expectations and just having that pleasant surprise sprung on you uh, a real kind of feel-good adventure, and uh, yeah, uh, I, I thought it. I thought it was really fun. Like you said, Kev, I thought the creature design was was great. I thought it gave uh, it gave sort of tangible threat to to the monsters, but it became quickly apparent that the audience that they were going for that this is this is an adventure movie. It's there, you know, you're going to have tense moments and you're gonna have you're gonna have moments of, of kind of like ooh moments of like some some of the creatures are, are pretty gross you're also gonna have lots of lots of really heartwarming moments as well so it's it's a real f- family adventure i think that that's great um, yeah i think it's a family adventure with an edge because i think that's the thing that would have initially turned me off was the fact that it looks like a pg family kind of movie which isn't necessarily yeah. a bad thing it just wasn't what i was in the mood yeah. for but i did you know upon research it's got a 12a pg 13 stateside um yeah. i watched it and there were some parts in it where it kind of like very cleverly walks that tightrope between family and something a little bit edgier um but i yeah. think its wit really makes it that kind of like made it that you know that, that little bit better um and Definitely. i think really to be fair i mean it would have been obviously this would have had a cinematic release likely it would have been quite good to have seen uh, uh, to have seen it on the screen on the big yeah. screen but um maybe i wouldn't have made that effort to go and see it on the big screen reviews aside maybe i would have seen some reviews and hearsay on it um yeah. but uh, i'm glad i did it was great that i could just go okay well, let's try it on which might be an argument for this type of stuff going to streaming anyway because it's accessible for someone that might not ordinarily go make the extra effort to see it yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I recommend it to anybody that that needs just a really good feel good evenings entertainment. Just not disengage your brain because it it does it does occupy it nicely. But just go in and have a good time. Just to pick up something else to do with with kind of that heart of the film and and kind of how lovely it was at times is um, Michael Rooker not playing the villain for once um uh, his uh clyde and ariana greenblatt as his uh his sort of ward minnow uh their interactions together and with dylan uh so through uh through the wilderness i thought was really sweet as well and i thought that helped anchor the film as well so it's not just the kind of that central love story. There's lots of things going on. Really, really nice, heartwarming stuff. So, yeah. So that's Love and Monsters. And that's on Netflix now. 
So the next of our films is going to be reviewed by myself and uh, Mr. Commander, and it's another Netflix production uh, it's joe penner's stowaway uh, so this was released in the last couple of weeks and has got you know really really great you know it's a four-hander cast but uh, anna kendrick daniel day kim shamir anderson and the brilliant peerless tony collette um, <laughs> and uh, the, the basic story is it's a three-person crew they're on a two-year mission to mars uh, they they end up running up against uh, an impossible choice when they find an unplanned passenger on the trip, uh, who's been injured during the launch and has essentially accidentally stowed away on the mission. And uh, Chris, how did you find Stowaway? Um, yeah, for a film that has a running time of, of I don't know, just over 100 minutes or so, Yeah, I had to admit, it felt like a really slow burn. It felt much longer than it was. Yeah. And I think therein sort of lies the problem I think that this film suffers from pacing um, Yeah. not that there's anything bad about that because I, I one of the reasons that drew me to this is because I, I just love space I love mm. space so much so I'll watch anything with space in it and the, the, there's a few things about this like, coming out of the film I realised I enjoyed it more than I did while I was watching it but the, when you take the individual parts of the film apart, I, f- I just found that the script was nothing really spectacular. It did its job. Mm. Um, there are a few instances of exposition that repeated themselves within minutes of already telling the audience what they were. And it yeah. felt like the writers were sort of like, remember we're in space. There's a space thing you have to remember. So we're going <laughs> to tell you twice. All in all, what's kind of interesting about it is I found all of the characters themselves to be fairly one-dimensional. They had their quirks, they had their passions, and they fit into those stereotypes. But I didn't really find that there was a weak link amongst the cast. They all played their parts very well. I believed all of them. Um, I felt Shamir Anderson's performance was a little underwhelming with the situation his character was in. Um... Without giving too much away, I felt that there was more to be done with that. And I felt kind of like that as a umbrella of the film. Because I felt like the film in itself, the premise, it could have been... It could have gone over the top and been a crazy action film. It could have been like yeah. a life, you know, for those of you who watch Life. Um, yeah. Which I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of. I, I found it quite derivative. Um, yeah, and, I mean, but but an action yeah. film in space that was taking science fact and making science fiction out of it. And that yeah. sort of, there's a blurring of the lines, especially with stuff nowadays, mm-hmm. of you go into this film and you understand the rules of the film. And if they are so grounded in what science fact is, sometimes they, that can get distracting from the world because you go... Yeah. Oh wait, but if gravity affects you at the bottom, how does it affect you? And then I get sort of caught up in real science, and I realize yeah. that the laws that are laid out in the film should be the ones that an audience pays attention to. Don't yeah. take other stuff and 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 push push it onto the film, unless the film is very much like this is a science fact film. And I don't necessarily yeah. think that this was. They had elements of you know, I mean, a trip to Mars is. Uh, "Quote unquote," not too far away in our distant, distant future. So this felt like a fairly close film. Yeah. 
But it also could have been on the opposite side of that. It could have been a really incredible, in-depth look at the psychology of space travel and the yeah. trials and trepidations that that come with that and the fact that there's nothing else and we're on our own and what happens when something disrupts the status quo. What What's more important, human life or mankind's furtherment? Yeah. And it, it, I just felt like the film tight-roped where it could have gone further. Yeah. I think a good sci-fi is less about kind of the expedition and the technology, but more about that exploration of humanity in extreme yes. circumstances. And and that's... Uh, you see a lot of those where that's that's really the heart of it, that the, the, the space travel and the, the science fiction elements of it are a means to an end. And so this... this goes somewhere i mean the intent is really good that it's 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 that morality of it and and that difficult decision but the way it plays out i mean i i enjoyed it i felt it was it was engaging enough to just just let wash over me uh enjoy the performances um as we've said the talent on display is fantastic um but it does just lack that little something just to turn it into something special it was just i just found it to be good it was a it was a yes. it was a good film it was it was worth watching um they i don't think they went into the uh, it could have as you said it could have been a risk of being something a lot crazier uh, given the circumstances i, I uh, was kind of half expecting a a Dr. Smith lost in space switcheroo at some point. Yeah. Because I felt like, where's the where's the conflict? And when the conflict comes in, you go, okay, that's that's a real-world conflict. Well, yeah. quote-unquote real-world conflict. And I felt like that then they didn't go the psychological aspect, which yeah. they should have. Yeah. I, and I think I, it became it became sort of almost like a problem-solving thing that uh, that that's that's what they were they were there to do. And I think a lion's share of it is taken up with. Uh, with one, you know, pretty pretty good pretense set piece, um, so it's it is it's an interesting premise that just doesn't quite. It, it could have been really really thrilling to see that 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 moral dilemma mm-hmm. in space and and having that sort of play out. It could have been quite. It could have been more emotional than it was. Uh, Although there there are moments of emotion um, and moments of, uh, of of drama and that moral internal moral conflict, but what you're dealing with is three essentially good people that are also scientists that uh, you know they they have to they have to kind of consider you know, the, the the greater good. Yeah. The greater good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Glad you did it. <laughs> uh, but so yeah, so it's so when you've got three, four inherently good people, and I think they they play they play sure. a blinder with the um, uh, yeah with the stowaway <laughs> in the fact that they make him really likable as well, so you can understand their dilemma. And these these are people yeah. with with a conscience, and so it's it's interesting to see, but maybe. Uh, not not as dark or as exciting as you're you're expecting. It's just uh, interesting to watch the moral dilemma play out and see good actors sort of wrestling with it. 
Yeah, I mean, th- that being said, we like to we like to sandwich bad things with good things, as you do in yeah. a good argument. But Absolutely. One of the f- there are a few really lovely things about this film. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'm, one I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. I did enjoy it. Yeah. I just ultimately think that I probably won't rewatch it. Okay. Um, it. One of the things that we have we, we've come really far in able to replicate what it's like to be in space on film. Yeah. And there were moments I genuinely couldn't tell what was CGI and what was practical. And from a filmmaking perspective, it was just like, oh, that's just fun to watch for me. The sets and costumes were glorious. It was all contained basically in this one spaceship. Um, I did love the fact that we didn't get to hear ground control. When when she talks to ground control, we are isolated with those characters. And I know that could probably be frustrating to to some who watch it, but I just felt like, okay, we don't do any really external shots that feel like ooh a floating camera in space mm-hmm. it feels very much like you are you are with these characters which i which i appreciated um there there are some there are some pretty shots in it as well mm. um the, there's a moment where they're going up uh to one of the solar panel sections and there's the sun behind it and it's a very lovely looking shot but i don't think it's meant to be a pretty film it's not meant to be an interstellar it's not meant to uh shine these glorious glorifying space yeah um but the set of the i mean i love props and i love tangible things and i felt like i could inhabit that set yeah it felt like okay i know where the quarters are i know where the food is um it the was sense nice. of yeah that sense of geography within the film was really nicely done and it, and it managed to 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 make it feel both claustrophobic but also you know give it enough space to to kind of not feel like it was too oppressive yes uh, and i i enjoyed that because there were moments where obviously the characters are up and they're sitting and they're talking and then you get into the like oh they go into another room and have to basically duck down and go through and yeah. you start to realize like there's there's one moment in the film where they say uh i i still can't go to get over the fact that how little is between us and space yeah and it, it kind of does drive it home of going yeah well the elements are against you at this point yeah. you are the aliens in space at the moment yeah no uh, yeah so i think i think we're both sort of pretty much in agreement with it that it's that it's a noble film and it's got great intent it doesn't necessarily go as far as you'd, you'd maybe expect or want it to but it's it's worth an evening's two hours if you've if you've got the time and you want a just a little bit of, of thoughtful sci-fi yeah if you want if you want some space <laughs> if you want some space <laughs> and there's a lot space, of it there's a lot of space um and and you don't expect more than than basically what it is on the tin yeah um should, then, um, then it's a lovely film should the Definitely. tagline have been in space no one can hear you meh <laughs> in space no one can hear you yeah they flew too yeah. far away from the sun no one can hear you meh Excellent. Right, so that's Stowaway, and that is on Netflix now. As I always say in the intro, one of the things we like to do is try and find those films that are flying under the radar. And this is this is a little bit of a special one for us. Uh, so it's a film that both Kevin and Craig have seen. Uh, it's called Wilderness. Craig, do you want to tell us a bit more about Wilderness? Absolutely. So uh, just to give you a little bit of the plot, uh, blowing out of the city like a whirlwind in the night, Alice and John flee to the sea-riding blissful wave of new love. So essentially what we've got is we have a 
a blossoming new romance between the two characters, John and Alice. Uh, John is a jazz musician and they go away for a, a weekend down to uh, the coast, down to Cornwall. And like the blurb said, it's they're riding this kind of physicality, the early stages of the relationship that, you know, we can all kind of relate to, you know, those blissful moments where you, you're just focused on, on uh, one other person uh, and nothing else. And then it's the introduction of other people, not many others coming into their, their life over this weekend and how that shifts um, and moves their relationship forwards or backwards uh, and and that there's ambiguity whether you know it's for the positive or for the negative so so that's where we're at um, it's it's a film uh, that was made by uh, was directed by Justin John Doherty uh, who I am lucky enough uh, to call a friend and was written by a friend of mine uh, called Neil Fox and it was made uh, in conjunction with uh, Falmouth film school uh, at the university um, and the, it was crewed quite extensively by the um, students from uh, that are studying down uh, the, the film degree course down there at Falmouth. To me it felt like it was a play, it felt claustrophobic, it felt that you were infri infringing or uh, watching something that was so very personal for these people, you know, you, you, you get to see them in at their so in their naked state you know at, at their most vulnerable and then how they relationship deals with with new people coming in i enjoyed this film immensely but i understand that it won't be for everybody it's a uh it holds the mirror up uh quite quite literally in in a couple of cases in the, the film to to what a relationship is uh the two main actors uh james barnes and Catherine davenport are, are wonderful absolutely wonderful uh and they are all consumed by each other but the first person that they meet uh is this this man and he has a negativity towards james uh, to john sorry and he we think you assume it's because of race, uh, uh, because John is a black man. And it, that's the first thing where you go, there's something not right. There's something not not right with the relationship or with one aspect of the relationship. And it's each other's, um, it's how the conversation leads from there and then a party that they go to. Uh, Kev, you've seen it as well, is that right? I have, yeah. I mean, I think, just put it into context there, I think the film's set in the 60s, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is, yeah. So that's kind of like, so obviously when you were mentioning race just then, it's important to remember that. I thought the film was wonderful, like yourself. Um, I, I, I think it's because I was in the mood for it. Um, I watched it on a uh, with a nice cup of coffee on a Sunday morning, uh, which was absolutely, I think, the best time for it. You know, I sometimes talk about when you're in the right kind of mindset to watch a film, which was terrific because the film was personal. It was intimate. And what it did is it played with something that I'm very kind of passionate about. And that's the kind of like this whole kind of thing about exploring relationships inside and out. Uh, there's been a few films like that recently, but I think this one seems to do it quite well. And that's important to think. I think this film was right in the film fest festivals since 2017 so a lot of the films that have been released this year a little bit like the um oh my i've completely forgotten it now the david john washington one um what was the, the we reviewed it a couple of weeks ago oh malcolm and marie yeah malcolm and marie where you see a kind of like a relationship that on the outside should be perfect uh but you realize there's cracks in it and i think the thing is it's summed up very well by the tagline so the tagline to wilderness is john and alice are in love 
in love with the idea of John and Alice. And I think that's the thing sometimes is when you're with somebody, especially in the early kind of what we call, as Craig mentioned, like the honeymoon period of a relationship, there are so many things that you want. You're playing a version of yourself, the person that you want to be rather than the person you probably ultimately will be, you know, will be should the relationship continue. And I think John and Alice come into each other in in a kind of like a very sort of, you know, intimate way. They, they kind of like, you know, they talk, they laugh, they do all these things and then cracks begin to appear particularly as Craig said like in social situations and interactions with people external to their relationship um, the only kind of real element of conflict we'll say one of the real elements of conflict that they had which I thought was a very well executed scene doesn't give anything away is essentially they kind of fall asleep on a beach and the tide comes in which means that they get trapped kind of on the beach for a period of time and the two of them have to kind of problem solve to try and get out but they can't seem to get over the obstacle of problem solving because they're just bickering the whole time and there are some things in it that I thought were very well observed and I thought yeah that's spot on I've been in those situations not trapped on the beach but I've been in the situations where I'm kind of so wound up with the person <laughs> that I'm with that I would rather bicker with them get that out of the way before we solve the problem that we're in um, I thought the direction was assured I thought the right was very good very intimate very nice and uh, yeah I, I mean I, I can't recommend it enough really and the good thing is, is I'm very glad that um, that I liked it because I, I kind of knew I would and I and and I think it's because at the moment maybe I'm the right age for it but I'm in the right mindset to watch films like this at the moment and I hoped it would be good and I'm very glad it was uh, and Craig um, I just thought I'd mention as well um, obviously Neil um, who, who wrote it he was obviously responsible for writing the short film that we made together at university wasn't he it? was it so, yes <laughs> so i like to think that uh we, we, we were there so should ever they release a dvd of this maybe they'll allow that, whack that short film on the disc if we ask them nicely <laughs> I, who knows well i know they won't but uh, <laughs> the, uh the just a couple of other things as well it it to me it felt like felt like it was a love story obviously of john and alice but of jazz uh, as well, which, oh, yeah. which is the soundtrack throughout the film and and the, the very opening scene, um, and then uh, like a a love letter to to Cornwall as well, uh, because the vistas are absolutely beautiful, uh, incredibly well shot, and um, the, the the main performances are wonderful, um, and the supporting cast uh, as well. the The one thing about this was I found myself rooting for one person or the other because one was being more unreasonable because they felt wronged by a flippant comment that was made by somebody else or how much alcohol had been consumed by the other person um and that's i i, I was siding in an argument of of these two people and that's how I knew i knew i was invested because i was like she's being so unreasonable or he's being ridiculous or he's making outlandish yeah. claims because i yeah. felt invested in their relationship for that short period of time and it is a short period of time it's it's a it's a new relationship but it's also a short film uh, i think hmm. uh, 84 minutes uh, so it's a, a lot happens and not a lot happens in, in equal measure. And I realise that this film won't be for everybody. Uh, but, but people that like a, a study of a relationship or those people that sit down and think about how they they, they see themselves in films and so on and, and how uncomfortable that can be will really get something from this. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, this... this this might have been like the it's either the best or the worst first date film you can watch I mean I know we spoke about Promising Young Woman recently being a bad first date film to watch but with this it kind of like I, I, and after when I finished watching it I spoke to my uh, my fiance about some elements and stuff like that but going back to the point Craig was saying there are points where you're just like all you just need to say is sorry 
just say sorry reset go back and then it's all good and then there's that thing as well where you're kind of like oh no have I, have I crossed the line this, this this relationship is too young to know whether or not I've crossed the line have I just ended the relationship by doing what I just did I don't know those kind of panics as well you know all of those and it's so real and it's that you know that, that that's something that was what I kind of liked about it because it made me think of situations I'd been in where maybe I'd had or my partner had had a little bit too much to drink and things crossed but sometimes just those not being able to let things go or simple resolutions for things where you look back with regret and go if only I had said sorry or if only I'd done x y and z then maybe yeah. um, we'd be a lot happier now or essentially you know in this this age of everybody getting their uh, you know tinder and everything you get the kind of like answers to many questions that these characters are answering in their trip away um very quickly so maybe speed dating and everything like that nowadays it, you know you don't get those situations like they have in this film um as frequently but uh yeah it was a great um you know 90 minutes or so to to spend with these um this couple and uh, yeah hats off to it it's a great film and should be seen by as many people as can access it Fantastic. It sounds like like very raw and very well observed and obviously knowing Neil and Justin, they've they've obviously played to, to things that they know because I know Justin uh is is a huge jazz fan and with Neil sort of living around the, the Cornwall area using that the glorious landscape down there, it's you know, their influences are it, it sounds like they're very sort of clearly clearly marked within the film, so that's that's great. Yeah, that's available on, um, I think you can get it pretty much on most platforms, but I watched it uh, through Amazon. Fantastic. So yeah, give that a rent now, so that's Wilderness. Now, gentlemen, uh, this is a film that myself, Craig and Kev have all seen, and it's one I think we're all really looking forward to talking about. Um, so uh, it's The Mitchells versus The Machines. Just to give you a little bit of background on the, on the film, this was originally to uh, be released last year, but due to the pandemic, uh the the release was curtailed and uh, basically sold onto Netflix. At the time the the original trailer was released about twelve months ago, it was going under the the slightly less uh, auspicious name of Connected, which doesn't really tell you much about the film at all. Um, but uh, having been sold to Netflix uh, for a streaming release, uh, the filmmakers were basically given the opportunity to give the film its original title back, The Mitchells versus the Machines. So the story is, uh, it's a quirky, a dysfunctional family's road trip uh, to take their eldest daughter, Katie, to college. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in the middle of a robot uprising and suddenly become humanity's unlikeliest last hope. Now, this is from the stable of the brilliant uh, Lord and Miller. Uh, so we know the pedigree that we're going to be working with here. Uh, everything you know, from, from their directorial work with the Lego movie and with 21 and 22 Jump Street and their production credits are such as uh, kind of Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, so the influence, I think, it was already there to be already there to be seen, and I think I think it promised a lot. So, did the film by the people that made the Lego movie and uh, one of the greatest animated movies of the last few years, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, did it live up to expectations? And also as well, to, to mention their debut animated film was Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Yes, of course. Yes, so, so I mean, you know what you were even early doors they were. That's over. that's pedigree, and of course from the uh, from Sony Pictures Animation who bought us uh, the Emoji Movie. So, 
Let's just blow <laughs> my point out. Yeah, so yeah, a mixed, a mixed bag. Let's blow so, my point out of the water there. Where I was saying that it's like you know, is there actually a, 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 so a, a mixed bag. any kind of contender to Pixar's crown at the moment? I said, well, the closest people to it are the people obviously that have yeah. made the Emoji Movie. That's not going to be the case. But then, are you only as strong as your last film? That's the question. Well, if and, they, if, uh, if they are, yep. Well, it's it's directed by Michael Rianda, and I have to say, yes, it does live up to expectations. Uh, very, very much so. Uh, yeah, I, I have to say, I, I found it absolutely delightful. I just uh, what a film! Uh, it's something that I've I've been really looking forward to since the first trailer dropped, and yeah, I mean it's it's bonkers, it's hilarious, it's a really, really lovely, heartwarming adventure, and you know it's an absolutely beautiful visual delight. Uh, so much like the the techniques that are used in Into the Spider Verse, where you you have a blending of you know traditional and CG uh, animation styles, uh, and they kind of, there are loads of lovely little neat touches kind of augmenting the the action, and it it just looks absolutely gorgeous. Uh, how did you find it, gents? Yeah, I, I thought that the thing about this film is, right, is it looks on the outskirt, on the outside of things. You look at it and think, it's a zany family comedy. It's animated. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. You know, you sort of think, okay, well, these generally are, are usually churned out sort of ten a penny, or at least they were kind of like five, ten years ago. Um, so when this one come up, I was all, I was back when it was downloaded. I was or connected rather, downloaded, connected. Um, I was thinking to myself, okay, cool. Well, there's that. That will be coming out, and that will be pre-pandemic that will be the kind of film that kind of floats around the cinema does well good box office maybe during the half term periods but probably won't have much to say it's going to be a kind of a bit like the emoji movie something that cashes in on technology and isn't it funny when you can't swipe your iphone left all that kind of stuff but what we actually got was a film that i thought was exceptional and the moment i found out it was from the lord and miller stable i was like okay i'm going to give this the benefit of the doubt because i had dismissed spider-verse until i actually watched it and again yeah. i was blown away by it it's got an amazing voice cast i say amazing voice cast these guys are kind of like you've got like danny mcbride maya rudolph you've got olivia coleman who in my opinion nearly steals the film she is yeah. absolutely terrific um but yeah visually uh the the music the sound everything that i would say this is probably the coolest animated movie that i have seen in recent years and yeah. that's not necessarily that, that could sometimes you know if it didn't have any style you know any substance and it was all style then you'd say okay well that's you know it might look good but at the end of the day you want a good story you want good characters but you get that as well now mm. I, I don't have any kids or like but my emotional investment in that father-daughter relationship while they were on their road trip while also trying to you know stop the apocalypse happening um i, I was there i was i was welling up but without a doubt my favorite sequence of the film was the Furby sequence? That's all I'm gonna say. And <laughs> yep. I watched, I watched this film, and I like, and I generally, I watch Pixar films, and I watch uh, DreamWorks films, and I watch lots of animated films, and I admire how good they are, and I chuckle, and all of that kind of stuff, and I observe, and go, oh, that's really good. I love the way they put that together. I think that's very clever. This film had all of that, but I laughed out loud at that that sequence was the standout sequence for me in a film full of standout sequences yeah and like spider-verse it goes maybe a little bit too kinetic towards the end but i think um that sequence alone had that have been a short i would have been uh, you know they would have they, they would have got me uh, and i think and because i laughed so much at that um I, I you know i was willing to forgive the film kind of maybe having a slightly weaker ending than i would have liked um but it uh, yeah i mean across the board five stars i absolutely adored it 
What did you think, Ray? I completely agree. Um, Now, I watched it with the family. Uh, We often talk about appointment cinema and appointment viewings. um, And I'd I'd said to the boys uh, and to my wife, we're going to sit down, we're going to watch this. And the boy... one of my boys was, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that I'm going to like this. And then about 10 minutes in, I looked across and they were all mesmerised in so many different, like because of the how beautiful it was, that the sound um, and every, it just captured every single one of us. Um, and it wasn't until about 15 to 20 minutes in, uh, there's a scene the first moment where I laughed out loud, which was um, a scene involving the family dog where the the youngest <laughs> is trying to trick the dad into getting close to the dog so that dog licks the dad's face. Uh, I, I <laughs> for the next five minutes, I, I kind of lost the movie because of my my laughter. Um, and <laughs> the, the, the best sort of comedy is that sort of repetition and pushing it just beyond what you think you, you, you need to do. Um, and I, I was... It just hit the sweet spot for me in every single way. Yes, the ending was a little frenetic and not perhaps as much of a as a payoff as I would have wanted. But um, everything the the, the comedic um, robots uh, that were in there and the um, you know the comedic neighbours as well, which was a, a nice little uh, cameo from John Legend uh, and his family. Um, I I absolutely ad- I would I would recommend this to anybody. I can't wait to own this physically um, on Blu-ray because it it will excite me to watch it again uh, and to sit down and to have and and to own this. And it's not often that I I get a film where I want I really want to own that now. And it it, it throws it back to how I felt when I was younger. And you know you would go and buy your your five for thirty pounds or whatever it was, and you were excited. And that and this film <laughs> yeah. brought that back to me. Uh, and you know I, I can't give it much higher praise than that. I absolutely loved it, as did all of my family. You mentioned Fantastic. the you mentioned the dog there, Craig. It's important to note that the dog was actually played by Doug yeah. the Pug. <laughs> Doug the Pug had a credit, in and he was terrific. <laughs> and I have to say, I know there there is one moment at the end. There is a payoff during that final sequence that involving the pug that genuinely made me laugh out loud as well. Um, and partially down again, giving, giving big props to Olivia Coleman's performance just in that, in that moment, it was just the combination of the physical comedy and, and the dialogue was just perfect. Um, obviously I, I, you know me and if you if you're a regular listener to the podcast you'll know one of my big loves is my is my daughter and the the fact that um you know I'm getting her invested in film and a lot of the things that that kind of tickle my tear trigger when when I'm watching films is things that involve uh father daughter relationships or um, you know parental relationships with with their with their kids and like kev i i i teared up there is a moment very very close to the end and it's a really simple moment but there's a music choice uh by Sigur Ross, Hoppy Poller and that kicked in and you know I've been I've, <laughs> I've been walking a bit of uh, an emotional tightrope myself you know in the last couple of weeks and that moment coming with with you know with a bonding moment with the family 
and this beautiful piece of music, I allowed myself a 30-second ugly cry at that bit. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was just so beautifully done. And, uh, you know, there, there were a few bits that really kind of hit that hit that trigger with me. And, uh, and yeah, it, the, all of the family relationships were good. I think across the family, there, there is no weak link there, um, <laughs> including the pug. So Danny McBride's great uh, as, as Rick, the dad. My Rudolph is, is always great fun. Um, Abby Jacobson, who plays Katie Mitchell, she is, she is really, really, really likeable. Even when she is not being especially likeable, it's quite unusual in a film like this that you have the main character actually do something that's, 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 pretty pretty poor form uh, yet you still want to root for her there, there, there's a there's a comment she makes to her brother halfway through and it's it's a really it's it's kind of a really unfair moment but uh, and michael reander the director uh, plays the son aaron and again it's another really really great performance uh, he has he has one line at the beginning it's in the trailer uh, where he's going through the phone book, but just the delivery of it is, again, it really—they're just really simple, tiny little moments throughout the film, uh, and tiny moments of creativity where they, uh, they, they reuse memes and they reuse uh, video clips, they reuse references from earlier on, and it's just everything is a treat within the film, uh, and it's one that I'm really looking forward to revisiting because I think, like into the Spider Verse. And I know it's a it's a really good touch point because of the quality, because of the stable, and because of the, the animation style. But what I found with Into the Spider-Verse is I really enjoyed it the first time. And then I decided to go back and watch it a second time at the IMAX and absolutely fell in love with it. Because I, I saw more, I understood more, um, I, I got to appreciate you know more of the, the visual style of it, and I'm really really looking forward to revisiting the Mitchell versus the Machines with my daughter, because I know she is going to love it. Uh, I mean she's dog mad anyway, so her uh, she's going to fall in love with the pug. I'm going to have to do a, a Love of Monsters and Mitchells and the Machines uh, double dog double bill for her. Uh, so yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to, to checking that out with her and really looking forward to watching it again. So yeah. yeah. I think that's what you were saying. I think it's, the, it's, it's been the first film in a long time that I just want to watch straight away again. The next morning yeah. I woke up and I was like, I watched it on Saturday night. Great time to watch it. And I was like, Sunday morning, I was like, oh, really... I should watch that again i was like no i'll watch something else but um yeah i'm looking forward to going back and uh, not to mention something that was kind of like sort of advertised ahead of time and it won't give much away but there's an exchange during the end credits between two characters which is quite groundbreaking um in relation to uh, animated films uh aimed at this type of audience which was uh, just made me love the film more so uh, yeah Watch that uh, wasn't again. that? I mean, we're not going to go into spoilers, but wasn't that beautifully played? Yeah. That yes, it was absolutely. just almost throwaway, the, almost throwaway, and it was it was throwaway, but because it was throwaway and because it was it was done in that that way, it made it better. It was subtle, but yeah. it was right, and it was it was perfect for the film. That yes. it that it just, of course, that the film does that because it's it. It feels groundbreaking across the board. From, That's like, it. Yeah, a film tradition. The whole film is very traditional in setup, but groundbreaking in execution. Absolutely. So, uh, can you tell we enjoyed that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that is the Mitchells versus the Machines, which is on Netflix now. And even if you haven't got kids, just give it two hours of your time, and I promise you will enjoy it. And now, the final film in our review fest episode, and. 
I think it's only right fitting and proper that we end it with what ended up walking away with both the best picture and the best director Oscar as well as uh, the best leading actress performance uh, from this year's Academy Awards. I am talking about Chloe Zhao's Nomadland. It's finally with us after you know, screening at the London Film Festival last year um, with the delays thanks to the, the coronavirus. Uh, Disney Plus threw it up via their star service uh, last uh, last week. And so, I, as I say, I managed to check it out and Craig and Kev have both managed to check it out. So, gentlemen, what are your opinions and what are your feelings about Nomadland? Um, I'll, I'll say that for, for for better or for worse, so did Nomadland deserve to win the Academy Award for Best Picture? That's the thing. I think there was so much else going on, and we discussed this during the Oscars podcast. Um, I would probably say it maybe didn't, because this film could have been released at any year, at any time. And with all the other important films there were last week, um, during the verse, Your Promising Young Woman's and, um, uh, and all the, all the other Sound of Metal. Sound of Metal, all of that kind of stuff there. It was a little bit disappointing, because the funny thing was, was I watched Nomadland and it was exactly how I expected it to be right it was Mm. as good and it was as pacey and it was as uh, you know wonderful with performances and lovely visits and it's the funny thing was is because this film's been such a long time coming I've read and seen so much about it I felt like I'd already watched it it almost felt like watching the film was like just kind of like it was like okay well i suppose i better watch the film now i felt like i'd already seen it a little bit like the new bond film it's that kind of thing i've seen so many trailers now i feel like that film's been and gone um but with nomadland i watched it and i thought you know what the thing is is it's walked away with that best picture it's going to do something that in in its execution that's going to blow me away and i'm going to be like well there you go is nomadland any good in my opinion it is it is so good very good wonderful it's exactly what i expected it to be the performance is great. You wouldn't expect that for, as you would expect that, of course, from Francis McDormand. Uh, yeah. The di- direction again, assured by uh, Close Out, and um, it's based on a book. You've got this kind of like amalgamation of performances from real nomads, and you've got actors in it. You've got David Strathen uh, popped up. I've not seen him in a while. It was good to see him. Um, yeah. And I think that the the way it's directed and the vistas and the way it looks and stuff like that is absolutely beautiful. So Oscars aside, I think this film is great, but if you factor the Oscars into it, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are watching it um, over the coming weeks that are going to be a little bit disappointed with it. I watched it. I finished it. I went, that was lovely. The music was great. It looked brilliant. The performances are terrific. I can now move on and, you know, talk about Mitchell's versus the machines recently. Um, yeah. I, you know, it's not like I've, I doubt I'll ever watch this again, but it was a wonderful film and uh, I appreciated it if I didn't necessarily enjoy it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it makes it makes perfect sense, and I can understand that there has been an element of blowback against the film because it's really not for everyone. There are there are certain people that will watch it and probably not. It won't resonate with them in quite the same way that it that it has maybe with us. I mean, I thought it was it was it was really good. It was really tender. I thought it was. Uh, it was a real slow burn, and like you said, Kev, the, the direction was gorgeous and glorious, and the cinematography was amazing. Uh, and it does it draws you in, I think, more than anything. And I think one of the strengths of it is because it uses real nomads and their experiences, it makes it feel more honest. Yeah. 
that there are a few discussions that Frances McDormand is just so good in this film because she inhabits the role. It's not. It's not a. It's not a Marge Gunderson. It's. Uh, it's not her role in, in Three Billboards. It's. It's much more understated. Yeah. It's. It's quite. She does sort of oscillate between quite a warm character and then when she feels like she's getting close to to certain people, she. It almost feels like she almost goes a little bit cold, and you see the wall coming up. But it, but it's it's an inhabited role, and it's yeah. uh, it's a very very it's a, obviously a confident performance, but it's just such an assured performance. But then you counterpoint her, and and this is probably where the, some of the strength lies. Is she is such a damn good actor, but in those moments where she is sharing those with some of the nomads, so there's a, there's a really touching moment halfway through with somebody who she has become quite close friends with and the lady confides in her something that that actually that was a really resonant moment and it was it was made all the better by the fact that Frances McDormand just sat back and let it happen and and reacted appropriately and 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 the lady the uh who both in the film and in real life is called Swanky and she uh, she delivered a really nice performance. There's another one later on with kind of the, um, the kind of the leader of the nomads called Bob, and again he gives he gives this really emotive speech. He, he does a few times throughout the film, and that's really where the hook, where it where it gets under your skin, is that honesty in the emotion in it. That it's it's not showy. It's all about you know the finding finding freedom after basically a, a disastrous. Um, a disastrous moment. We've not really talked about the kind of the plot of the film, uh, which just to kind of update you. Uh, so the the Frances McDormand character, she uh, lives in a town called Empire. That the the main uh, industry is closed, and essentially because there is nothing else there for people, no jobs, no nothing, the town becomes a void postcode, and essentially becomes a ghost town. So rather than try and stay there. She essentially packs up a van and goes off to find work and uh, ends up falling in with, with kind of the nomad lifestyle and uh, and traveling from place to place, meeting people and and finding sort of varying experiences of work and it's um, yeah it, it's really heartfelt in that in that way of, that it's the idea is it's not a kind of a plot driven film it's very much an experience driven film you move from experience to experience and and how you view it and how you watch it whether you are looking for that that kindness and that human contact and that that feeling of community you will get you know that there are there are high points there are low points in it but it's just all very real all the way through and that's Again, like you say, it, it probably didn't resonate with me as much as the Sound of Metal or Promising Young Woman this year. But I mean, that's not to do it a disservice. I, I I didn't find it an easy watch, but I definitely appreciated it, and I definitely I definitely took something from it. Uh, Craig, how did you find it? I I don't know if enjoy is the right word to use. I think you're probably right there. It's I <laughs> I, I appreciated it, um, and. Mm. What something that I find in almost every Oscar uh, buzz movie is, you know, there, there's something in there for me. Um, and with this, there, there was something missing for me within it, and that is 
I would have a real fear of my security if that was me in that nomad lifestyle. And it wasn't touched on that it, it, hmm. it was seen to be a very secure, you know, uh, environment. And I understand that that's about the community and, you know, and that's what they're looking at. But there's a moment where uh, Francis McDormand's walking across and you see four quad bikes or, you know, um, hmm. all terrain vehicles come in. And I was like, OK, this is the moment where her, the security of her life is going to be jeopardized by those whoever's on that. And it, it nothing ever came of that. And it I was always waiting for that, that that something that was going to throw jeopardy into her life other than you know yeah. how she deals with with other humans which is what the, the film is about um hmm. and i for me everything was so very truthful about it uh the the tender moments of when she is at the um watching the the alligator um and they are you know she has the snake around her which are beautiful moments yeah. i everything was was there apart from that that jeopardy that and it maybe it's because i would be a nervous person you know if if that was my uh if i was living out of a van or you know um but and and the knocking there was quite a lot of people knocking on the doors and so on and there was obviously yeah. they make reference to the didn't you see the flag was up you know that means that somebody's resting i just how close you are to danger wasn't addressed for me um but yeah. that's not to take away from the fact that the film is is wonderful Frances McDormand obviously is is absolutely incredible and you know watching her is you know it's it's effortless and she like you said Scott as well it's her reacting to other people that you know has, mm. has secured her the the Oscar definitely here so yeah. um that that's only a slight thing you know I yeah. I I probably won't watch the film again but it is beautiful, absolutely beautiful, and it ma it makes me want to see more of America and uh, more of the world, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, that, that's how I what what I personally take away from it. But you know, not to take away from the film in itself. I think this certainly would have been enjoyed more by me had I been able to have seen it cinematically, and maybe yeah, the best time would have been to have seen it last year at the London Film Festival in a cinema, you know that kind of thing. Um, and just in relation to the director um, Chloe Zhao get, getting that award, I think it's what you were saying. Really, it's a, it's a film where people are just being, and to direct mm -hmm. that and have your balance of actors and real nomads and it seems so fluid and all connected and consistent i think is a is an achievement itself that and yeah. she was well well awarded that absolutely i i, I agree one quick question and i'm not going to go kind of too deep into this but um it's something that's been discussed since uh since the release is uh there's been a lot of sort of blowback about how the film treats uh ferns working at Amazon basically they're disappointed that actually Amazon because you know their their sort of reputation of things about the way they treat their staff that she that, that some people feel that she gave it a, a bit of a a bit of an easy ride my personal feeling i don't know how you feel is that this this wasn't the film for the the polemic against them that that, that that's a real thing that these nomads do is they go and work in these uh, they go and work in these warehouses. Yeah, they um, kind of travel and it, go, go where the work is, don't they? Absolutely. And I, I feel that if it, if it had 
done too much of that it may have offset what the film was trying to trying to achieve that it's not necessarily it you know it's it's a positive reaction to big business and uh you know the economic issues that that actually these people are are going out into the world and there isn't there's only a that small element of jeopardy when you realize that that when her van breaks down at one point yeah wild spoiler that there is that there is that that inherent risk that all of a sudden she's homeless uh, and there's there's that that real risk there so it touches on it but it doesn't it doesn't drive it home i don't think it was i don't think it was a film there to be yeah i uh, think i think maybe going back to that point craig was saying about there was no that, that jeopardy and stuff and like you were saying scott they kind of gave amazon i think it's because it's based on the book isn't it jessica bruder's book yeah. and she wrote the uh the elements of the film as well i think it's the the nomadic lifestyle is essentially your dangers or your advantages disadvantages in the world and in life come from the landscape they come from that so if your van breaks down you're in the middle of the desert and no one's around that will get you you know in yeah. a similar way to if you're in a big city you might get stabbed or mugged or whatever like that is you know that kind of thing amazon yeah. does facilitate this like type of lifestyle for many people but then you don't want it to become a film about that as well and had yeah. they have called it i don't know you know if they hadn't have called it amazon and they'd called it like i'm um, um, you know they've given it some weird name everyone would be like oh they're, they're representing amazon so that was by the by and there is a remark in it when she speaks and she kind of goes yeah i like it i like them they pay well and all of that kind of stuff and essentially i suppose maybe if you read jessica bruder's books you'll say well them doing that facilitates me to do this you know it's, yeah. it's that kind of thing really and i think it's, it's almost like a slice of life in the sense of this takes place over if she's going to do this for the rest of her life this takes place over a very kind of short period of time over about maybe a year mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and in that yeah and i think she in that is making the decision whether or not she's going to stay and you know or she's going to actually settle down and everyone seems concerned about her and she's like you know there's the, the characters are like oh are you okay do you want to stay it's going to be cold tonight do you want to come and you know sleep in my room you're homeless and she's like no i'm not homeless i'm just houseless i yeah. choose to do this i'm not doing this because of any other reason other than myself respect that respect me these are the things i do and big business oddly for some reason seems to facilitate this polar opposite lifestyle and you know that it's a weird kin i think that kind of you know that those kind of like conflictions were were the more interesting parts of the film for me really definitely i think probably we we might have been having a very different conversation if this had been released as an amazon prime exclusive yeah <laughs> <laughs> the i think the time of year that because she, she's there around christmas as well isn't she and she gets yeah. out she it's the, the the idea is that she gets what she wants out of amazon she gets good pay good work and you know and and friends you know those people yeah. that she uh, and that's a very warm scene where she's talking to the people so it's regardless of of what the company is she's getting what she wants and needs out of amazon um yeah. regardless of their status you know in in the world and so on it's it's not about that it's about her and what she gets out of that situation so yeah and like you say it's not the film to be it's not that's that's not part of it um and you could have named it anything um and uh it's I, th- I thought that that aspect of it was to ha- handle it. and the fact that she goes back as well at the same time of year um and then there's yeah. this scene where she's wishing people you know happy new year um i i think those two the time of year and that you know all fed in nicely to that 
Uh, and I wouldn't yeah. have a gripe with the, with the way that that was portrayed personally. No, no. If, if anything, the fact that they used Amazon was a great way of just quickly saying, this is the type of thing, you know you know what we're talking about. We're talking about a big business doing that kind of thing that's facilitating yeah. this. That wasn't the point, but it was, it was they used Amazon to illustrate that point probably. That or the fact that in the book she talks about Amazon. Yeah. So that's Nomadland, the winner of Best Picture, Best Director and Best Lead Actress Performance at this year's Oscars. And yeah, as we said, it's it's a really, really heartfelt, really warm film. Again, we probably don't think it would be for, for everybody. It's it's something that you need to invest your attention and, uh, and go for the experience rather than uh, going for, for event because that's essentially it, it's not a movie with events it's about that passage of time and that passage of life and and finding finding your freedom and that's available on disney plus now so speaking of the oscars kev you stayed up to watch them this year did i did i always yeah i always watch it it's a very different ceremony this year and funnily enough Frances mcdormand took swanky the nomad from the film to the oscars <laughs> with her so she was one of the the few so it was basically in the kind of um, very different thing it wasn't at the kodak auditorium it wasn't a big song and dance thing and uh, just to kind of give you a whistle stop tour obviously um awards aside you can you can see those if you look them up online the ceremony itself was probably one of the better executed of the ceremonies i've seen recently during the pandemic so certainly better than the baftas which had that annoying kind of like laugh track or applause you know fake audience which is weird um seemed less clunky than the golden globes did uh, but it was lovely and intimate and what they did this time was they didn't necessarily and this was something that my mum who watched a little bit of it had problems with she was like they didn't show clips whenever you was nominated they weren't like here's this person nominated for this performance and then showed a clip of it um, they did it a couple of times with like documentary feature and stuff but the main awards there was nothing in that respect and what they actually had was they had the hosts and there wasn't one host there was many as seems to be the kind of trend at the moment um, that would come out and they'd talk through the um, they'd talk for all of the nominees and what they would basically do was talk talk through the film and thank them for their performance so they'd be like Francis McDormand, you showed the wonderful life of nomads and do this and and we thank you for your performance this year. Then everyone would applaud. It was very respectful. And what I noticed was as well, and obviously there would have been a restriction within limits, but there was no, no one was played off. There was no kind of like, if someone wanted to come out and give a political speech, if somebody wanted to come out and give a 10 minute speech where they were thanking everyone from, you know, their mum to their dog, um, they could do that. And the thing was, was it was probably in an odd way, the way the Academy Awards should be. And probably the way the Academy Awards were formerly when they used to take place in a ballroom of some hotel in Los Angeles before it was televised, where it's just people from the industry thanking each other, backslapping each other, but just generally being nice and respecting the medium of film and the industry that they're all in, especially during this year. And I would say that, did I find that entertaining? No, I didn't. Did I miss the old format? Yes, I did. And I'm glad it's going to be coming back next year because they had a sequence where Brian Cranston presented an award from the Kodak Auditorium um, uh, to a group of people. And he said that they'd be back there next year. So it was really a one off. And I watched it thinking this is the way it should be. But this isn't the way I like it to be. I want the glitz. I want the glamour. I want the comedy. And I want the, um, you know, the big, uh, you know, the, the, the big performances. I want to hear the nominees for score. I want to see the clips of people delivering. Because I love watching films around Oscar time and going, that will be the speech that they use. Um, or that will be the clip they use when, they, when the nominee comes up. And, um, and I think that um, they, they had um, 
uh, a weird kind of like change of the fo- the format where they didn't present best picture last they presented best picture before they presented um best act or sorry not best picture basically picture and i don't like to call them best because they're not generally called best are they they're kind of like performance for leading actor performance for yeah. leading woman and be- uh, and picture of the year i keep saying best but anyway um at the end it's of shorthand we know what you mean yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so basically best picture was the, the, before the the nom- uh the award for uh, best actor and best uh, and best and best supporting sorry best actor and best actress and that kind of uh, rubbed a few people up the wrong way because obviously it kind of heavily implied that the best actor award was going to go one way uh, but it went another um and chadwick boseman didn't didn't get it um but other than a couple of skits in it during the evening where they did like a weird random oscar quiz to the people that were in the uh, uh in the station um it, w- it was an odd it, it was kind of like an odd very straightforward ceremony that ran to time so I would say not for, it wasn't for everybody. A lot of people found it boring. And if you didn't know the films that were nominated, you didn't know the performances and hadn't seen any elements of the film, then you wouldn't have got anything from it because they weren't showing it. You know. And I, didn't, I don't think anybody watched it going, oh, I've got to see that. That looks good. Because they would have just been given a description of how the performance was and seen the actor win it or not. So there we go. So, yeah, I think it was an interesting ceremony, but not one that I think should be repeated. Fab. Uh, just a quick sort of acknowledgement to the last episode that, uh, of course, uh, the big winners on the night uh, for the two lead performances, the director and best picture, were all films that we hadn't had chance to see when yeah. we did the preview of the last episode. So uh, just goes to show, uh, you know, maybe maybe we need to hold our tongues until we've seen everything, but uh, but have absolute faith that, uh, you know, they've They've largely made made good choices this this time out. It was yeah. Excellent. I think many people said it's a bad a bad year for uh, cinema, but a great year for film. Yeah, I think yeah, it was a really really strong batch of films this year. Uh, so yeah, excellent. So ladies and gentlemen, it's that time of the week again, and it's time for our pitch, pitch battle. So if you've not listened to Pitch Battle before and you're new to the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast, the idea behind a pitch battle is what we do is we are given five minutes to come up with a pitch for a film. Now, we base our pitches on three things, an actor, an item and a genre. These items and genres and actors are given to us by... Uh, you, dear listener, and what we do is we we create our pitches and then come back and present to each other and, by extension, your ears, and then we decide amongst us which one is the best. And obviously you have the opportunity to sound off on our social media, which we'll give you at the end. Uh, So, this week's pitch battle has been given to us by Mr Martin Moore. Uh, Martin's uh, he's a good lad and he's given us a, a what could potentially be a cracking one this week so our actor is Mr Samuel L. Jackson the item is Marmalade nice and your genre is Thriller Ooh. so we have five minutes to come up with our pitches but for you dear listener we'll be back <laughs> in a couple of seconds gentlemen pens down are we all ready? Oh, as yeah. ready as we'll ever be. Fantastic. So, in our usual scientific method of deciding who goes when, uh, Kev said, oh, you know what, I'll do it first. <laughs> to get it out of the way. 
So without further ado, presenting his pitch for Samuel L. Jackson's Marmalade Thriller, it's Mr. Kevin Haney. Okay, here we go. Imagine our waka waka pedal, right? Very similar to Shaft, right? Waka 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 waka. Sam Jackson's back, baby, and he ain't messing. He's played Shaft, but this time he's got a new jam. <laughs> Sam Jackson is John Marmalade. A cool cat that don't take no spread from any fool. He'll break the case, shoot the thrill, and make the bad guy's ass, for want of a better word, a toast. It's the thriller of the year. Sam Jackson is a marmalade. Marmalade. Oh, yeah. There we go. You went for that one. I I am very aware that I essentially did a black exploitation film, but managed to uh, cheat at the end by saying it's the thriller of the year. Uh, so you, 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 you did. I I like that. I, like <laughs> I do apologise. So technically it was right, but uh, yeah, I don't think I would deserve to win based on the fact that it was more black exploitation than it was thriller. But uh, there we go. <laughs> With more fuzzy bear waka wakas. Waka <laughs> Excellent. So, presenting his Samuel L. Jackson marmalade thriller, Mr. Craig Woodfield. A gritty Glasgow street. A bleak 60s soundtrack. A troubled man battling the scum of the city. Samuel L. Jackson is Private Detective Robertson. He has five (laughs) days to solve the Hartley's mystery. He has five days to solve the sticky situation. <laughs> I I am loving the jam puns. <laughs> Thank that you was... very much. I, that's there all I go. had. Uh, after that, <laughs> you know, it was a bit of a damp squib at the end, but you know, um, I, I'd sold myself uh, with the Robertson and the Hartleys. <laughs> and so, third up, presenting his Samuel L. Jackson marmalade thriller, Mr. Christopher Commander. A rainy night in London. There is a commotion. People running back and forth. There is trouble on the lines. The train lines are stopped. Suddenly, a scream is heard. A body is found, covered in marmalade. People running in every direction. Suddenly, silence. Camera pans in on a lonely bear sitting in Paddington Station with a note attached to it saying, Please look after this, mother. Thank you. A tale you thought you knew. Samuel L. Jackson is the killer Paddington Bear in Lost or Found. Brilliant. <laughs> That's terrific. <laughs> Fantastic. So that uh, that just leaves the pressure on me to, to deliver. So presenting his Samuel L. Jackson marmalade thriller, it's, it's me. When the local mob attempts to extort old Mars marmalade orange farm, this plucky group of aging farmhands hire in the baddest man in town to protect their stocks. He may not like them, but you can be damn sure he will turn them into elite mother... Ing fighting team. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson, in what variety called the fruitiest thriller of the year, Bad Marmalade Farmers. 
Very good, very, very good. good. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, uh, there, there, there was a little bit of uh, interference on the line part way through that. I, don't know. I wonder what that could have been. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying to keep our clean rating. <laughs> oh, brilliant! So uh, we hope you enjoyed that. That was that was good fun, uh, if not stressful for for all of us. <laughs> so if you enjoyed that, sound off in the comments. If you have any suggestions for future pitch battles, please leave them on our social media. Details to follow at the end. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. Well done, lads. Yeah, well done. <laughs> and so that brings us screeching into the final part of the show, which is our steadily expanding Tracks of the Trade movie score playlist. Now, this uh, tracks, tracks of the Trade playlist is on Spotify for all of you to download, and we will leave a link on our episode notes. The idea behind Tracks of the Trade is for us and you, if you you have something you like and you'd want to contribute it for us uh, is for us to pick pieces of movie score music that we really like and we're trying to build a, a huge variety of different songs different sounds different influences and hopefully find something that you enjoy and so this time out we're going to start with Mr Kevin Haney again because uh, that's, the, that's the order I've written everybody's down in on my sheet. Again, we use science here to decide things. So Kev, what is your track of the trade this week? Well, my wonderful track of the trade comes from the brilliant Jerry Goldsmith um, who scored Paul Verhoeven's Basic Instinct. And uh, nice and simple this one. It's simply the main title from Basic Instinct, which is great. It's haunting. It's nice. And it kind of like suits very, it's very kind of, it's very apt for the film, which is good. Uh, uh, and I am hoping that obviously um, young gentlemen of our age, uh, there might be a bit of like <laughs> Pavlovian recognition there. Uh, and uh, I'm expecting a few people might listen to that on Tracks of the Trade and get a little trouser tent themselves. <laughs> <laughs> So there we go. So yes, Jerry Goldsmith's main title from Basic Instinct. Brilliant. <laughs> Good choice. Uh, so I'm, I'm up next and I've gone themed this week, no pun intended. Uh, I've picked a track from uh, the Best Picture winner at this year's Academy Awards, so from Nomadland. Uh, it's a track called Ultramare. Uh, it's by Ludovico Ionaldi, and it's a really beautiful piece of music. And Actually, I... I hadn't initially picked this song for this week but as I was listening to the film there's a moment so towards the beginning of the film where Fern is driving from the north to quite, quite sort of snowy cold climbs into warmer environments and the music underscoring this journey it's just really really beautiful piece of music and I, I stopped the film there and then to find out what it was uh, just so I could present it this week on Tracks of the Trade so that's uh, Ludovico Ionaudi's Ultramare from the Nomad soundtrack. Next up, I believe that would be uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Christopher Commander. Oh, hello, You're hello, up next. Hello. Yeah. Um, I have chosen a track from a Blake Edwards film starring Peter Sellers called The Party. Um, it is a track composed and conducted by Henry Mancini, and it is called Candlelight on Crystal. Um, this was a film that Blake Edwards and Peter Sellers were working on sort of after the first Pink Panther film. And um, it's, I'll say it hasn't aged well um, in terms of, uh, Peter Sellers may or may not be in blackface, but we don't talk about it. And, um, but that being said, the party is 
almost an experimental film, and it's really funny. Um, it's it's got sort of the edge of what we would now kind of consider um, awkward comedy. It's kind of an uh, I can think of like Ricky Gervais comes to mind in The Office. That sort of um, really honest kind of awkward stuff. Um, so if you haven't watched The Party, I would suggest it. It's very funny. It's about a um, a D-list actor uh, who finds himself at a party with like A-list people. It's very good. Excellent, fantastic, and uh, and and that period of time, <laughs> there are a few, a few instances of, of yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Less said about Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at <laughs> Tiffany's, the better. <laughs> Culturally sensitive? Mm, no, no. But I think if my if my calculations are correct, that that track is now officially our oldest uh, tracks of the trade track. Hey. So I think you've you've beaten out uh, the theme from Bullet, uh, which was my pick a few episodes ago, um, by a few months. They were both released in 1968. Wow, lovely. Excellent. So, to wrap up this section, we have the brilliant Mr. Craig Woodfield. What's your pick, sir? Right, I have gone for um, a track by Michael Andrews from Donnie Darko. Now, I, I knew very little about Michael Andrews when I bought the soundtrack to this. Donnie Darko's got a real special place in my heart as a film. Um, it it harkens back to the days when you America used to get a film substantially before, you know, us over here. Um, and there was a big, almost a six-month gap between um, America's release and a release here. And I felt like I knew something that other people didn't with Donnie Darko. And that stuck with me. Um, I know it's, you know, there's, there's a mass of people now that love Donnie Darko. Uh, but there's just something that seems very personal to me about this film. Um, and it's mm. called uh, The Tangent Universe. Um, and it's just, it's very haunting, uh, very much like the film. Um, yeah, and uh, so that's why I picked it, because uh, Donnie Darko it will always have a special place in my heart. Fantastic. And I think, if my again, if my calculations are correct, I think Michael Andrews is the first person on our Tracks of the Trade playlist to have a UK Christmas number one, because his version with Gary Jules of Mad World yes. um, beat, beat the Darkness's uh, Christmas time, Don't Let the Bells End, to Christmas number one that year. Okay. Although I, I do wonder whether that was the Donnie Darko influence or the fact that that same year uh, they used the song on the Gears of War soundtrack... Uh, the Gears of War advert did, uh, yes. that was that was on heavy rotation as well. So I think it was probably a combination of the two. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Michael Andrews, our first <laughs> UK Christmas number one entrant. And uh, yeah, great choice, Greg. Thank you awesome. very much. And so that brings us to the end of yet another Monkey See Monkey Review podcast. And uh, again, and this is this is just great fun for us. Uh, we hope you're enjoying it too. Uh, if you are enjoying it, we have lots of ways that you can get in touch with us. Uh, what I'm going to do is on the episode notes, I will add links to all of these. So I'll tell you about them very quickly. But just go to your episode notes on your podcast provider and uh, click the links or follow the search terms. So the first way of getting in touch with us is via our Twitter at MSMRPod. Uh, we also have an Instagram, uh, which is Monkey See Monkey Review, where we post pictures and uh, things we're watching and little movie news updates and things that we, we think are quite fun. We also have a Facebook group where we promote new episodes coming up. And every now and again, I'll, I'll try and sling up the odd review from time to time. For the most part, my reviews and Kev's reviews are going up on Letterboxd. 
so we will leave our letterbox links there. And we also have email, which is msmrpod at gmail.com. The final thing, as we always do when we when we do this bit, is we love doing this and we hope you're enjoying it. Um, it's nice to see that people are listening to the podcast. If you get an opportunity and you are enjoying it and you've not yet done so, if your podcast provider of choice, particularly Apple Podcasts and Podchaser, uh, if they give you the option to leave a positive review, please do. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, uh, it, uh, you know, what you're thinking of the, the show and how we're doing. Uh, the more positive the reviews, obviously, the the better uh, sort of visibility we get so it helps other people find us and you know we we do it for the love of it but if more people are listening that doesn't hurt so if you can do that for us uh, please do and if you've got a friend that likes films and think uh, they might need something to listen to please recommend uh, them listening to the monkey see monkey review podcast so that brings us to the end of our episode uh thank you gentlemen so much as always um Particularly, you know, during these these trying times, having uh, having this and having you guys to uh, to talk to about films and to be creative, it's you know it's wonderful and it, it really gives me a lift that's much needed. So thank you as always for your input. You're absolute legends, and I love you to bits. Oh, thank you. Thanks uh, for having us, man. It's great. So, it's always good fun. Bless you. And so finally, all that remains for me to do is to say <laughs> it's the same thing we say every week. Goodbye. Bye, Bye. please.